Queer Money Bingo is coming live to Denver, Colorado on Thursday, June 13th at the downtown Capital One Cafe. To sign up for your door prizes, pride sunglasses, free coffee, more swag, fun, and games, go to queermoneypodcast.com forward slash tour. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. We are excited for today's talk. David and I often talk about the need for personal responsibility in the LGBT community, especially when it comes to our finances. And that's just what these two guests on Queer Money are doing for the queer community today. Philip Endicott has had a passion project for the last four years of creating an LGBTQ credit union that's for and made of the LGBTQ community. His partner, Cisco Smith, who's currently the CEO for Florist Credit Union, is helping Philip make this dream a reality. You're going to be excited and love to hear what these guys have to say and how they're serving our community. They're also going to ask for solicitation for funding to help make this a reality. If you're interested in helping create this credit union that can serve our community, please go to www.equalitywashington.com. Now, let's get started. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, Philip and Cisco. We're excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. This is awesome. Cool. So, Philip, you and I have been talking for quite a few months now. I know that building the Equality Credit Union is a passion project of yours, and you're making some major headway now. Would you mind giving our listeners a bit of a background on on who you are and what Equality Credit Union is all about? Sure, sure, absolutely. So, yes, passion is definitely behind this and fuels this, but it's, to be honest with you, I'm a community organizer, activist that got a technology degree, master's. And, you know, while working in the technology field and the explosion of technology sort of introduced into our lives, I worked a lot on banking, banking apps and banking sites and gathering big data for for banks and that kind of stuff and saw this field, this area really developing and opportunity developing. But as our community, I'm a gay man and in my early 50s, and I saw our community being left behind, to be honest with you, and missing the opportunity of joining other financial institutions and other communities sort of at that financial table. So I did some research. This is about three, four years ago. So I've been a, a credit union member for many years. I'm one of those neo-hippies that really believe in co-ops <laughs> and community you know, cooperatives and people coming together and doing things in a grassroots way and making sure it responds to you know, people's real needs. It's not a marketing piece. It's not a company. and It's an organization that is organic. And so I realized that, wow, that's right. Credit unions are made up of a community. They're built literally for the needs of a specific community. Well, that's us, right? We were fighting for marriage equality. We've been fighting against the epidemic. We've been fighting for so many years. We could and should put that sort of energy into our futures, into being thoughtful and build a financial institution that is owned by our community, that really reinvest back in our community, which is what credit unions do, and will be a legacy stake in the ground, if you will, for our community for 50, 80 years, maybe longer. We launched a nonprofit, 501c3, called Equality Washington, spent three years researching the LGBT community and 
the economic condition. And I'll tell you, my eyes were opened and my heart <laughs> was affected to see and learn that our community is looked at and thought of as wealthy and well-off. And in actuality, we are struggling. We're impacted by the years of all the fights, by the HIV and AIDS epidemic, by even the fight for marriage equality. These have impacts that we're celebrating, but at the same time, those impacts are hitting us emotionally and financially. And we need to take care of ourselves. We need to be able to let our spirits out of the closet as well as our wallets. (laughs) Absolutely. So I think David and I would 100% agree with everything that you've said. To me, that begs the question, why hasn't something like this been created before? Any ideas? It's hard. It's really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's really easy. I've started probably eight 501c3 organizations. A handful are still functioning today. Gay City Men's Health Project in Seattle, Washington is doing incredibly well, but was focused on the HIV AIDS epidemic at the time. It's not that difficult to pull together a group of people and to do some paperwork to get a a nonprofit organization or even a for-profit organization together to get the highly regulated institution that is a financial institution after the 0809 sort of Christ banking crisis, which by the way, no credit union was really involved in in the way that banks were, because credit unions have volunteer boards, they're owned by their members. There's a lot more compliance oversight because of that kind of structure and model it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work for people who do not have finance backgrounds. That's, that is me. Like I said, I'm an activist, but I believe in this as a community organization. And I believe in this because as I get older, we need to plan for our future and not just me, but for, you know, the younger generation, I want to see more financial education in our community, more financial planning and get ourselves out of debt so we can really do some things that are not just reactionary, but are doing something responsively, you know, toward the future, helping small businesses, helping reduce the cost of education and elder housing. Yeah, you're touching on all of our passion points. (laughs) Exactly. I think I have listened to your podcast a few times. So, (laughs) you know, yeah, I think I know what you you might be all about. I think one of the challenges with creating a credit union is, and I'm probably, I might botch this up, so please educate me, is establishing or creating a charter. And that's kind of how you got connected with Cisco from Flores Credit Union. Can you explain how that works and what that relationship is all about? Yeah, this is an incredible story. I mean, we spent four years, you know, educating ourselves, researching, going out into the community. We made a huge splash. We've got lots of, if you Google LGBT credit union, at least the first couple of pages are ours. And that is just to say that we were putting a ton of energy into this project. And a fair amount of money. I mean, I was putting my own resources in, and I'll just be completely transparent, up to about sixty to $70,000 over those years. Wow. And then getting some donations. We had an Indiegogo campaign, which we raised about $45,000. We had some support from some individuals and some credit unions. But really, considering it was a four-year process, we were working for very, very little. And it was our own money that we were working with. So for the most part, 
The charter defines the business. You've got to have a charter which is approved by either the state or, or the feds in order to show that there's a need and a necessity and that you've got the ability, the business plan, the approach to get this done. And, and this is an important piece, that you've got the resources. So these are donations. The National Credit Union Association, the federal government, and state governments expect communities that are starting credit unions to be made up of the community. You've got a community that's in need and interested, then you pull your resources in order to get this started. It's a community organization. And as people put deposits in, there have to be the resources to counterbalance those deposits. So if something happens, it's almost like an insurance. You've got about 10% in reserves for all of the deposits that are in the credit union. That's once you start. But to get started, you need the resources to, in this industry and at this time, you're talking about very high-priced technology. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the design aspect that needs to be very aware, responsive, sort of timely. You need the marketing and outreach that can get to people all across the country. You know, 37% of the LGBT population lives in the South. So that's really the majority in terms of across the United States. They're in areas and locations, not just cities. We can't just target the big cities. It's incumbent on us to go into rural communities, areas outside of cities. So really, we're spread out across the United States, and it takes finances and resources to be able to pull together a company organization like this, and then to do the outreach to make it useful to people, which is most important. We measure our success, we say, by the change in people's lives, not necessarily on the bottom line or how much you know, we're making or reinvesting. It really is about are we affecting people positively and, you know, making an impact. That's great. And I love that you're you're looking outside of the gay meccas of San Francisco and New York City and Chicago and, and addressing the needs of those in our community who are outside of those main places. Going back to the Flores Credit Union Charter, is Equality Credit Union right now a part of that charter? And is that how you're getting started? Okay. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, maybe we can yeah, bring point. Cisco into the conversation and, and ask <laughs> it, Cisco, how did you get involved with this? As the CEO of the Flourish Credit Union, how did you get involved with this whole idea of creating an LGBTQ credit union? Yes, I didn't want to stop the great flow Philip had. And it was very nice hearing him describe this project that we're and journey that we're on. So I'm a professional credit union person. Basically, I, I went to school in, in Seattle, Washington, and while I was in school there, I ended up realizing the power of what a credit union was, and and I ended up getting motivated to start a credit union for my university, and I started that process similar to what Philip has been trying to do. I actually went through that same journey of discovery and learning. At the time, I had about six financial institutions from the Seattle market that committed $100,000 apiece to help sort of fund and give us some deposits so that we could start operating. I'd be working with one of the largest credit unions in the world, Boeing Employees Credit Union, to help give us some of that back-end infrastructure and so that we could focus on the marketing, the products, the solutions for students, but they would be basically powering the engine. And that seemed like the most efficient way in sort of the 21st century to be able to deliver a 
a credit union model. Whereas back 30, 40 years ago, you could actually operate a fully insured licensed credit union out of your garage with a little tin, you know, cash drawer. And it was a very simplified type of operation. And that's obviously not the case anymore. And as Philip kind of mentioned, the, the sort of rising costs of everything, compliance, talent, you know, marketing, operations, lending, there's all of these sort of soft and hard costs that go into what a credit union sort of looks like today. My experience was I went to sort of start this credit union for my university. Well, Boeing Employees Credit Union loved it so much that they ended up offering me a job. I ended up accepting that and sort of leading their institution into new markets and serving young adults and did that for a number of years, had a fantastic experience there, must have made a good impression because the number two guy there took over a large credit union in Tampa, Florida, a very progressive credit union, and I ended up joining him there in that journey and had been there for about five years. And we did some amazing things, sort of reinventing what it looks like to be a financial institution, next generation branch, utilizing things like ITMs, interactive teller machines, sort of this next generation of, of hardware, and just going through a whole bunch of great learning. This past December 2016, I accepted the position as president and CEO of the Forest Federal Credit Union. And this credit union was very interesting to me. It's got one of the most unique and valuable charters I've actually come across. So approximately in the United States, there's 6,000 credit unions remaining. About 50% of them are less than 50 million. Those are very small institutions. They have very specific and narrow charters where they can serve the employees of a particular company. Or for example, they might be the, the credit union for a particular hospital or hospital system. What we had at the Forest Federal was a charter that allowed us to serve anyone in the entire U.S. oil industry. So that's growers, distributors, wholesalers, brokers, suppliers, vendors, associations. There's over 200 floral associations in the U.S. And then not only that, but retail florists. So literally the mom and pop and, and big and middle-sized florist shops across the country. And then technically speaking, any of their employees or family members are also eligible. We don't have a single sort of direct competitor. I mean, what we have is that everyone already banks somewhere typically, but we have no one that's focused or specialized in that entire industry other than us. And so it gives us a real interesting opportunity and sort of blue ocean of real opportunity. It's probably not that big of a leap for you you guys and, and, and your listeners to, to imagine that folks in the floral industry may be part of the LGBT community. There's definitely a high percentage of individuals that I guess it's the artistic side and, and, <laughs> right. and like flowers. <laughs> things are pretty. <laughs> right. Pretty things. Well, yeah. You know, and it's a lot of fun. We have about three members of our board and supervisory committee that are members of the community. So there's already a, a very good comfort level within this organization for engaging in something like this. But on top of that, so our charter, let me just kind of wrap that up. We have this charter that allows us to serve basically very broad national markets. And what we can do, and it's fairly easy, we can add the market of, and we've already identified the pathway of doing this to allow us to serve members of the LGBT communities nationwide that could be either members of a particular association or 
people that just believe in equality that would like to be a part of this, there is a mechanism for us to do that. And interestingly enough, and this is part of the like operational side of it, we've been in existence as a credit union for about 50 years. We've already been challenged by the idea of how to serve members across the country in small towns, in big cities. We have members, literally pockets of them in Connecticut, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Colorado, New Mexico, Texas. We already are serving florists wherever they are. If you kind of go down the sort of list of necessities of trying to start this LGBTQ credit union, they literally are trying to figure out a way to first be a credit union, which we can help them with. Second, how to serve nationally, which we already do. Third, have a board and a management team that understands and will really drive sort of a next generation financial experience and sort of trying to reinvent what it means to be a credit union even today. So this has just been a wonderful sort of, you know, coming together and I would say marriage. And we're really looking forward to seeing this go from a beautiful idea to an absolute reality. And we have all of the pieces. So that's the exciting part. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, I should mention one of those pieces, I mean, we are, Florist is a financial institution. They do have some resources that are focused on, of course, the florist industry. The piece that we need from the community, honestly, is the community resources and the backing in order to invest in planning strategy and putting this up on its feet in the way that it should and needs to be established so that it can be around for years and years and years. There's a lot of competition from banks and even competition from other in financial institutions, check cashing places, either credit unions. So we want to be able to invest in finding ways to get out and making connections with LGBT community centers, LGBT social service agencies and nonprofits. And going into these places, it just takes the resources to plan and do that. Behind this today, this is really about reaching out to people who believe in this and who understand the power that this is going to have, the historic nature, and helping us with initially a pretty small mountain, but we're trying to raise $350,000, which is our budgeted amount in order to reach out to some civic and community leaders, pull in some consultants that will help us because of their experience and interest in making a plan and budgeting so that we can give a a view to our community of what this is going to be and how long this is going to take with the idea that we would like to be open virtually in June of 2018. Uh, What is your deadline for raising that $350,000, Philip? It's actually December 31st, so November 1st, the first of 2018. So New Year's is our deadline. And yeah, that's our time period. We would like to spend 2018, the beginning of 2018, hunkering down and really working on strategizing, building a board, doing the kind of outreach we need to foundations and granting organizations and doing some additional fundraising, being able to do the planning so that we make every step worth it and valuable. So basically what what you're looking at is that the community itself, our LGBT community, those of us who are able to to provide this basically this seed money to start 
this organization that would then go on to serve as a financial resource to the LGBT community as a whole. That's right. right. That's right. We've been working on this for four years. We've found a partner that is a 50-plus-year-old credit union that has, as Cisco said, an astonishing record and is made up of our community and has a board and executive staff that is interested and willing to work with us. We couldn't ask for anything else except for some resources. Right. So how does someone in our community support this? How do they get a hold of, or let's just say a listener wants to donate $50 to this process or maybe more, how would they go about doing that? Right. So we have a website that we have put together just recently. We were down at a at an event in San Francisco honoring Cleve Jones, who endorsed the project and has been talking about a LGBT-focused credit union, and that being really one of the next foundational pieces that we work on as a community moving forward. So equalitywashington.com, it's all spelled out, all lowercase, but equalitywashington.com has some information about our organization, a little bit of information on why this is important. The why is that we want to reinvest back in our community. There are reasons for it. We want to plan for the future. But there's also, most importantly, a lot of discrimination that's that's happening currently. So listeners can go to that website, learn about a lot of what we learned and we've discovered and some of our plans, and then make a donation, a tax-deductible donation to their 501c3 through the website. Awesome. That's great. And Cisco, would you mind sharing? I, I think that Flores Credit Union is helping with that funding. Is that correct? We are. You know, what's interesting is we're a small credit union and we're performing extraordinarily well in terms of our peer group. So I would say less than $50 million in assets. So that's about half the credit unions in the U.S. We're already considered to be a top performing credit union with a net income of 45000 a year. So it's a very tight margin in terms of what this type of organization looks like. And so we actually have gone ahead and committed 50000 as almost like a matching dollars to basically help credit union. So it's almost our entire annual income as a credit union. Now, I will say we've been doing a lot of things this year to improve. So we launched a new website, a new online banking and new mobile app that are frankly state of the art. We were actually just ranked a few weeks ago by the financialbrand.com as having one of the top 20 best looking financial institution websites in the globe. That's pretty impressive considering we're a very small credit union, although we're obviously doing some very impactful things. Yeah, we're, we're all behind this. And what's going to end up happening, and this is basically what happens with credit unions, is once we can kind of get over the, the hump of a lot of the costs that come with basically providing a, a modern financial institution, as we grow, we get larger in scale. And when we get larger in scale, we're able to basically leverage ourselves much better. So, for example, if we only had 1,000 members and we're spending $100,000 on a robust system like online banking or, you know, bill pay or remote deposit capture, those systems cost a lot of money. You're spreading that cost over a fairly small number of individuals or members. If we grew to 100,000 members or a million members, now all of a sudden, same cost, you're spreading it over a much larger group. And so what we've seen is as credit unions grow in scale, they become very sustainable in their income. 
And so that's what we need to do. We need to basically be able to turn on the engine, grow ourselves to a, a healthy level where we would then be able to be self-sustaining into perpetuity. So that's really the goal. And we need help with that. Absolutely. So any of our Queer Money listeners who are listening, please go to www.equalitywashington.com and see how you can help build this dream into a reality. Philip, I'd like to ask you, what kind of products and services do you foresee Equality Credit Union offering the LGBT community? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. You know, initially, as not being a really a finance person myself, but or an organizational developer and catalyst from the arts community. You know, the idea of loans and mortgages and financial products was pretty foreign to me, honestly. The more I have grown up, <laughs> the more <laughs> I've realized that I lacked the education and understanding that these things are fundamental to our lives. And you know, things like different types of insurance and knowing, you know, the kind of mortgages that you're getting into and understanding things are opportunities that I think we have missed educating ourselves and our community. This is something that we're going to focus on. We're, we want to reinvent the idea of a financial institution into a community development organization. So some of those products are going to be things that we learn from our outreach and working for this first year in in the community. So getting to know, although I've, I'm gay and I've been gay for 50 plus years, <laughs> <laughs> there are things I don't know about even the, the gay community. But, you know, we've got a pretty diverse group of people when we talk about, and a lot of people don't refer to themselves as LGBT or Q, but they see themselves as this part of this community. They may be allies that want to support this movement because they see that as changing our society, which is a great direction to go. It's a loving direction. And I think as we become somewhat, for lack of a better word, normalized into the way that people live in America, we'll want to do things like adopt kids or you know, buy a home or start a small business or a business. These are things that right now in 29 states in the United States, that's more than half the U.S., a financial institution can consider your gender identity or sexual orientation when considering a loan or credit. So there are no protections in 29 states when going into a bank or credit union and asking for a loan. So you can get married and be denied a home loan because of who you are, how you live, and who you love. So this is not going to be the case any longer. There's going to be some place to go to so you can get a home loan. So mortgages are definitely going to be covered. You can start a business. In fact, we envision like a small business incubator in cities across the United States. There will be mentors that will be plugged in through the credit union model and framework that will meet with small business owners and people starting small businesses and getting business loans to help guide them and answer questions so that those loans are things that aren't cumbersome and obstacles, the things that can be paid back. So we see loans, we see different types of loans that represent 
you know, each of the types of people within our community, as diverse as it is, I think we need to be diverse in our understanding of what people want and need money for. And you need somebody that doesn't just turn a blind eye to understanding who you are. The fact that we are who we are and we've, we've gone through what we've gone through does make us need certain things and puts us in certain situations. So I think it's important that we have staff and loan officers and people on site that that understand our challenges, that we respond with loans and support and understanding based on those challenges and situations. If insurance doesn't cover certain procedures that one needs, we will respond with the type of understanding and loan to step in and support people being able to be whole and healthy and loving themselves and who they want. I think that's great. And I want to, I want to reiterate two points. David and I love the fact that you're helping our community take personal responsibility. If there's 29 states in this country who are still stuck in the 18th or 19th century, or when you want to get, say 20th century, it's incumbent upon us right. to, to take responsibility for ourselves. And that's exactly what you're doing for our community. So here, here to that. And then I also want to stress, Thanks. we are huge believers that we need more LGBTQ entrepreneurs around the world, especially in the United States, because we think that's where real progress is going to be made in the future, especially with certain parties in power. We think that's yeah. where progress is really going to be made. And David and I, every time we have the opportunity in one of our speeches, we always try to needle in there. Think about becoming an entrepreneur. Do what you can to start your own business because we are more than just florists and painters and hairdressers. We are, we're in every industry in this world that exists. And when we can position ourselves as leaders in those industries and get society to see us more for our sexual orientation and gender identity, that's when we can really make progress personally and professionally. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on. And I think we as a community and a really diverse community can support each other in ways in those businesses to almost thrive within our sort of bubble itself. I mean, we, we need to reach out to each other so that we do have the strength to be successful. We've got such experience. We've got such interests. We need to empower ourselves and each other to be able to make those decisions and make those decisions in ways that are successful. So mentoring, loans, you don't have to fear going in and sitting down and talking about a crazy idea with somebody and getting the kind of backing and support that will start a new IT company or any type of company. But I think it's about vision and excitement and then support. Right. And Mass Mutual just did a study that showed that one of the reasons why the LGBT community says that we're not doing as well as we should be financially, despite what popular culture says we're doing, is that we're afraid that existing institutions either don't understand us or don't want to do business with us. So if, if that's a concern of anybody in the LGBT community, Equality Credit Union would be an option for you because those people would understand who you are and how they can best help you and your family and your unique financial needs. We absolutely want to. I mean, so it's not just coming in and being evaluated and maybe getting a no on a loan. It's how can we help you get a yes on that loan? Right. That's what it's really about is it was what are the opportunities to say yes or to improve our community, make us challenge ourselves to go further and reach higher and start to thrive as a community 
you know, oftentimes it takes just that little bit of a push to help somebody to get to that point where they're thriving on their own. Absolutely. You know, we are people that like to be amongst each other and supportive. And we want to encourage reaching out to each other and feeling like you've got opportunity, that this is a a country of people with ideas and opportunity and that support is there. And it really is about understanding that we each have a responsibility. And if we have an opportunity, then we can rise to that responsibility. And exactly. I think student loans, all sorts of things like that. We would like to take on the student loan issue and with community support, offer student loans without any interest. Asking the community to put up part of the interest and just wiping out the rest. You know, some way to reinvest in our future, really. And I think we have to start taking some approach to making that happen that is proactive. So I apologize if this question catches you off guard. I know we didn't discuss it in advance, but 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ. And one of our greatest concerns is that those individuals are starting their adult lives behind the eight ball because they might not have the family support to be able to fund going to college. Do you see an opportunity in being able to help that particular segment of our population? Absolutely. Kids that have left home or have been pushed out and are surviving after something like that are the kind of people we want to invest in. I think they're strong enough. They've got the ability to survive. And I think we as a community need to recognize that we have a responsibility back to them, just like they will have a responsibility back to us as they mature. So education, social service support. There are a lot of different ways that we can, as a financial institution that takes our profit and we don't give it to stakeholders or shareholders or investors, we give it back to the community. The members that we've got, they get lower interests on loans. They get higher interest on checkings and savings accounts, but we also will have profit that's going back into social service agencies and nonprofits that support our community in areas that it needs to be supported. I think youth and elders right now are at the top of that list. Great. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking of all this discussion and how fundamentally, that's exactly what a credit union stands for, this idea of people helping people, this idea of the rising tide lifts all boats. And so what we have is we have individuals amongst the community that are doing well. Those individuals can be huge catalysts by not having to do anything different other than deciding, maybe I don't necessarily want to continue to support the chases in the Bank of Americas with my dollar and the power of that dollar and allow it to come into this cooperative that will reinvest those dollars back directly into the community. The community can can help itself. It has the ability to. We will engage all sorts of communities. I think there's actually a a bigger issue of this whole idea of equality, but there's enough resources amongst this fantastic and diverse community across the country that we can absolutely mobilize. And for, I don't want to say the first time, but certainly for the first time pulling it together in a credit union format in such a concentrated way, it's a very exciting sort of proposition. And we will be authentic to this mission. This is without question. You bring up a very good point, Cisco, and, and John and I have talked about this before. There are major financial institutions out there that hold 
trillions of dollars in assets. And at a just a four to seven percent populace, the LGBT community is in it of itself holding potentially hundreds of billions of dollars in these financial institutions. And many of these financial institutions are adamantly opposed to because they have not chosen to. They are showing that they are not willing to come into this 21st century. They're adamantly opposed to serving our community. John and I worked for one of those institutions and begged them to show our community in their, in their marketing and in their advertising to even have material in the local offices where we knew there were larger LGBT populations and they chose not to. And yet at the same time, we have all of this money as a community in these institutions. How much better could it be put to you work for our community in an organization like this? We don't want to be the best kept secret. We don't want to, when, when we want to be the spear point to this, think about it. If we can pave a way where we can show the ability and the success and the and sort of the upswing of how we can make an impact, imagine what the trickle effect is to other institutions. We already have a waiting list of other credit unions that have expressed interest in saying, well, hey, if there's something we can do better to serve this community in terms of our policies and our and our lending and our our sensitivity, whatever that is, can you educate us? Can you teach us what we need to do better? That's the other aspect of this whole project is we're going to try to be sort of that spear point and and pave the way through these issues so that we can share that knowledge, share those abilities. I doubt that we will ever be able to sort of capture and, and really serve the entire U.S. LGBT community. That's not necessarily the goal. But if we can help the rest of the industry that has basically gone unchanged in the way that they provided services, and frankly, I think the bigger issue is the industry doesn't see that there's a need to serve this particular community. Right. And, you know, let's, let's back, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Philip. No, I was going to say, you know, you know, we sort of speak against this at times, but money is power. It does have power. It can be invested in ways that are both good and bad. A financial institution that is successful, like you were saying, if we all came together and believed in our own institution, that we owned our own institution, all of that money rising up and making an institution that is powerful, that can be an investment piece into all sorts of different opportunities, politicians, different community centers in areas where there are people but no place to gather and feel confident and safe. We can start making changes for the future that other institutions don't have the ability to do or partner with them so that we're able to finally make changes that nobody can take away. Elected official can't take this away because it is owned by us. And all the regulations support the idea that this is a financial institution for the community that started it. That's awesome. And so David and I have bought into the dream. <laughs> is, is so, so we'll send you a membership application. <laughs> you yeah, right, right, you got right, it. Right. Yes. Just to be clear for ourselves and for our listeners, the next major hurdle, though, is to raise this $350,000 by the end of 2018. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. We By the end of 2017. That's right. So by December 31st, we want to start 2018, really the first day. We're making plans right now 
for spending that money so that we can start doing the planning and budgeting and outreach that it's going to take to put this institution and this partnership up on its feet legally and soundly and get community leaders and put together the kind of board of directors and the outreach to other organizations across the United States so that we can offer these memberships to associations and association members. So we'll be looking for associations that have members that would like to be part of this organization partnership so that we can offer the membership to their members because we will be an associational credit union. 350 is money that is going to be focused on our strategy work and our budgeting and hiring some consultants to do some direction work with us. So yeah, go to equalitywashington.com, learn a bit about us if you'd like. There is a donation button that will take you through to give a donation and it will send you a receipt. It's tax deductible to our 501c3, Equality Washington. This would be considered a pure donation. It's not considered a deposit, right? That's right. Yeah, this is not a... In the future, we're going to want everyone who would like to be a part of this to be a member. And that means that they can use this like their full service financial institution where they can make deposits and, and apply for loans. And it's fully robust in that sense. We can already accept deposits under the florist, uh, although right now our, we're still sort of limited in that capacity in terms of the most here in the floral industry. So we have to go through a process and there's a lot of development costs to sort of upgrade the credit union to be able to accommodate the Equality Credit Union mission. And so there's going to be a second phase to what we're going to need help with from the community. But at this point, we just need really to to be able to pull all of these pieces together. We have a fairly aggressive timeline because the need is now. Regardless of your political leanings, there's a lot of things going on right now that we really need to be banding together. seems like on a daily basis, some groups are being attacked. Right. Exactly. Well, Philip and Cisco, thank you so much for taking up this mantle for our community. And thank you to Florist Credit Union for helping support our community and and move this great project along. David and I are are excited to help spread the word in any way, shape or form that we can. So thank you for giving us your time today. We appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just add... Yeah, David, John, thanks. I'll just add one thing. When we look at our community, we know that, and this is numbers that came out, I think, in 2015, that our community has a purchasing power of $971 billion in the United States. That's the money that we make and the money that we spend. And think about what we could do with just 1% of that money. 1% of that would be almost $10 billion. So we're asking you to think about, can you Can you give up 1% of what you make this year to try to help make this a reality? I know that right now I'm sounding very much like somebody who's on... Like I'm listening to NPR. Right. I'm I'm begging uh, individuals, but... The phone lines are open. Think think about the the trade-off of where your money could go to help individuals in our community that are desperate for this. Think about trans women of color who wants to start their own business, but they're only making $10,000 a year or an individual who lives in some of these smaller communities that doesn't have access to 
to wanting to start a business for their own community because they fear going into a bank because the, the individuals that are sitting on the other side of the table who traditionally in the financial services industry are very conservative. So we just ask you to think about the potential that you have in helping out Philip and Cisco make this something a reality for our community in general. You know, John and I will be supporting it. So we'd appreciate it if you would too. Thank you, Philip and Cisco, for coming on our show and sharing with us this amazing story and this amazing project that you're working on for the LGBT community. Thank you also for taking up this cause and serving our community in a way that we desperately need it. If to our listeners, you're interested in helping support Philip and Cisco and all the other people helping make this reality, please go to www.equalitywashington.com. Thank you. And if you like this or any other episode of Queer Money, please remember to like, comment on, and share Queer Money from iTunes so that we can get it out in front of more people and serve the LGBT community more and better. Thank you. Okay. We just serviced you. Now you get to service us by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes and signing up for the Queer Money Lifestyle Newsletter at queer.money. Well, I'm not really gay. <laughs> <laughs> Would help me if I had a personal chef made all me all my healthy meals for me. Right. So instead, I'll have a Snickers tonight for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> the other end, I like the butts. So. <laughs> yeah. uh. If you or someone you know is in or near Denver on Thursday, June 13th, go to QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour to reserve a spot to win amazing swag, including our very popular fried sunglasses, free coffee, and of course, an hour of Queer Money Bingo hosted by yours truly. That's QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour.